Matthew chapter 28. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking about um, the gospel and being witnesses uh, for Jesus Christ. And so our theme for this year is uh, Be My Witnesses, His Plan, Our Purpose. And so we actually started off looking at Acts uh, chapter 1 and really looking at the ascension. And so uh, just a reminder as, as we kind of uh, focus our thoughts this morning, this comes from Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8, and it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all some, uh, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they looked on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, this is the, the time in which Jesus, uh, the, the timing is after his resurrection, and then he goes back up in the clouds, he goes back to heaven, he's going to return again one day. But this is not the only instruction uh, that he gave to the church uh, is found here in Acts. There's actually another time that he commissioned the church, and that is in Matthew chapter 28. This is called the Great Commission. And so we're going to be looking at the Great Commission. And really this is going to be a two-parter. We're going to do part one today of Make a Disciple. That a little bit later. And so I'm going to start here in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. And I'll ask you to stand out of respect for God's word if you could do that this morning. And we're just going to read just four verses to get us started. Again, this is Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, that says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for bringing us together once again. Lord, we thank you for the great commission. Thank you for the fact that you have sent your Son to be the Savior of the world. As we've been focusing on this idea of being witnesses, and, and as we focus again today on this idea of making disciples, we pray that you would continue to impact our lives. Not that this is a, a, a new focus, but instead a refocus. That as Christians, we have been given the opportunity, the, the message of reconciliation to share with those who need it. And so, Lord, again, we pray that you would meet with us, work in our hearts using your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to explore the command or goal or purpose that Christ has uh, for his church. And so notice first the statement that he addresses to his disciples. Notice how he starts. He says this in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, as we kind of look around at the earth today and, and we watch what's on the news and, and we see what's happening in our community and our state and around our country and around the world, sometimes we can begin to think, is God really in control? 
And I say this morning that God is in control. That it does seem as if that Satan has free reign, that Satan is allowed to do whatever he wants, but that is not the case. Instead, Satan has a limited power, only the power that is given to him and only power given to him for an amount of time. And so I, I prove this point by thinking about the gospel. We've been talking about the gospel. We've been talking about the fact that the gospel continues to touch lives. Now, I give you this question this morning. If Satan had full control over to do whatever he wished, do you think that he would put a stop to the message of the gospel? Do you think that he would want anyone to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? I believe that if he had full authority, that he would put a stop to the gospel. And yet, the gospel continues to touch lives here within our church, within our community, within our state, within our country, and around the world. And so truly, Satan only has limited power for a limited time. Truly it is God who has ultimate power, and Christ states this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And, and who has given him that authority? Well, his Father, God, has given him that authority. Now, when he was on earth, we saw him have certain authority. We saw him have authority over the body. We saw him have authority over demons. We saw him have authority over natural elements such as water or wind. We saw him have authority over the Sabbath. We had, saw him have authority over death that he was able to bring people back to life, that he himself was dead and he came back to life. But here, right before he, he ascends, and this is at that time where he's talking to his disciples prior to his ascension, prior to Acts chapter 1 that we just read, that he tells the disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. The very first thing that we should know about this topic of making disciples is that really making disciples doesn't come through man's power. And so it's not through pastors or evangelists or missionaries. This, this power to make disciples comes from the Lord himself, comes from Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this topic, and, and this, this topic for this year, Be My Witnesses, His Plan, Our Purpose, it was His plan, and He's given us purpose. And so his plan is to empower the church. His purpose is to have the church go and make disciples. And we see that in the very next verse. And so in that very next verse, he says this, go therefore and make disciples. Now, this word make right here uh, in the Greek is, is a command. It's, it's, it's the idea of either an exhortation or maybe like a, a, a polite way of, of, of telling someone, go and do this. It is a direction. It is a goal. And so many churches, they don't look at it simply as a, a, a kind way of, of saying, uh, go and do this. But instead, they really see this as a command from the Lord to go and make disciples. And what are they making? What is, what is Jesus commanding them to do? Make disciples. And so go and make disciples of all nations, 
So it's not limited to just Israel. It's all nations. It's all people. It's all languages. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, as we stop this morning, the question is, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples of all nations? And so we're given kind of an outline here of, of making disciples. So number one, baptizing them. So the them is the disciples, baptizing them. And the second one is actually found in the very next verse that we'll look at in just a second. But make disciples. You know, someone once said this. Any religion that does not consider itself valuable enough to share with non-believers is fated to crumble from within. Now, as we read that, we might think to ourselves, that must have been like some, some well-known pastor or an evangelist. Maybe that's a saying from Billy Graham. But actually, it's not. Again, let me read it for you. Any religion that does not consider itself valuable enough to share with non-believers is fated to crumble from within. Now, who made this quote? This is actually a Jewish person. In an article about how the Southern Baptists were beginning to evangelize the, the Jewish people. And so he wrote an article to, to, his, to his Jewish brothers and sisters and said, you know what, we're beginning to give this impression to the rest of the world that Judaism isn't worth sharing if we're not going to share it. And so really there's some things for us to learn from that as well. That really our faith is worth sharing. And so we see this command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And how again? Well, first of all, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then that next verse, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so really those are the two ways in which Christ said, go and make disciples. That is the goal of the church, to make disciples. And we do that by baptizing believers and by teaching believers. So that's how you make disciples, baptizing believers and teaching believers. Now again, I said this is going to be a part one and a part two. Today we're just going to take the very first part of making disciples, and we're going to talk about baptizing believers. This is a question that might come up. What is baptism? What is baptism? Because really baptism is not an English word. We have it in our English uh, Bible, but it's not an English word. Actually, it's a word that comes from the Greek. And so it sounds a lot like the Greek word. This is the Greek word for baptism. And the word is baptizo, and that is where we get our English word baptism. So it wasn't really an English word. We took it from the Greek, and we made it an English word, originally baptizo in the Greek, baptism in English. Now, what does that word mean since it was taken from the Greek? That word means to dip or to immerse under water. Now, there's a lot of views of what baptism is, depending on what type of church you visit. So some churches, they have the method of, of sprinkle. So they, they sprinkle people to baptize. 
Other people, they, they dip them or they immerse them under water. And then some, some churches, they, they pour. They, they take some water. They, they may be sitting in a chair or standing up, and they pour it across their head. And so those are some of the methods of baptism that we might see. Some other churches, as we kind of talk about the when, some churches they baptize when maybe a child is, is a baby. And so they have baby baptism, and, and maybe you're familiar with that. Maybe you were even baptized as a baby. Another view is after salvation, and another view is for salvation. And so some churches, what they do is they take baptism, and they actually connect it so closely to faith that they say, to be a Christian, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized, and if you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. And so they align those two things so closely. And so when, some people say when you're a baby, some people say after salvation, some say prior to salvation. And then there's always this question. Is it important? Is it important? I remember when I was, um, I went to a public, public school when I was in high school, though I did have some Christian friends. And uh, my, one of my Christian friends, he was, he was a really strong uh, believer, and his name was uh, Casey. And so we went to the same school together, and I remember knowing Casey's background, knowing that he was a Christian. And so I asked him when we were in high school, I said, Casey, have you, have you ever been baptized? Casey said no, and I said, well, are you going to get baptized? And this was his response. And it kind of stood out as, as different to me. But his response was this. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe someday I'll get baptized. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, that's something that I hadn't heard of before. Because I was used to hearing that when people are saved, then they're baptized. And when I look in the scripture, I see people are saved and then they're baptized. And, but there, I know that there is this view out there that baptism is optional, not important to Christians. And so we want to we look at those three things today. The method, whether we should uh, sprinkle, dip, or pour, when we should be baptized, whether it's as a baby, after salvation, prior to salvation, and whether it is important or optional. So we're going to be looking at that as we explore this topic of baptism today. So notice here, this is in, in Acts chapter 8. We're actually going to look at a couple of verses here in Acts chapter 8. So if you want to turn over to Acts chapter 8, it's not too far from where you are there in Matthew Acts chapter 8. The very first verse we're going to look at is in verse 26. I'll give you a little context here. The church has gotten started. And uh, the Lord begins to plan out. He really has a plan for Philip. And we're going to see what that plan is. So here in, in uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 26 and it says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is a desert place. So, so God had a plan. And so he sends Philip. And then notice here in verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. So here is a chariot going down the road. 
And, and the Spirit, God's Spirit, moves Philip, really, really speaks to him. And, and we know how that is as Christians, if, if the Lord has ever uh, moved our hearts to share the gospel with someone. But here in verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And so Philip took an opportunity here. This was all like a God-orchestrated type of thing. God led him to the place. The Spirit led him to the chariot. And then Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? And so this, this man, though he was reading Scripture, he didn't have an understanding of what was happening. And so we see this as the story continues. This is in verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom... I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? This is a great question. I imagine that he is reading from Isaiah, that portion of Isaiah that talks about the Messiah. and What the Messiah would do, and, and no, no doubt in my mind that this eunuch is, has heard about what happened in, outside of Jerusalem. And so he's reading here Isaiah, and he's wondering to himself, what is this prophet speaking of? And, and this gives Philip just the, the perfect opportunity. Again, this is a whole, a whole God-led type of thing. And Philip was able to share with him that, that good news. And we see this in verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news, that is the gospel about Jesus Christ. Remember we learned that a little while ago, that the gospel means good news, that he shared with him the good news about Jesus Christ, starting there in Isaiah and working to what Jesus Christ came and did. And so God had orchestrated this whole thing. And why do I bring that up? Because we see baptism in this, in this next statement here. And so he said, going down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, how did the eunuch know about baptism? I don't know. Maybe, I mean, it was, it was pretty prevalent in the church. Maybe he had heard about it, that, that people were being baptized. And so he, he associated baptism with the church. And, and so maybe as he, was, he realized now that he was a Christian or that he was putting his faith and trust, and so he said, what prevents me from being baptized? Or maybe it was Philip. Maybe Philip said, you know what? If you really believe that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, that you should be, you should be baptized. And so notice here, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so really as we think about this idea of baptism and we think about that word baptizo to dip or to immerse in water, that is the picture that we get here. So the picture that we really see in the New Testament, notice what happens. And he commanded the chariot to stop, okay? So they stopped what they were doing and they both went down, all right? So it wasn't just it wasn't just Philip that went down into the water. He got a little bit of water and he came back up to the chariot. No, they both went down into the water. And then notice, and he baptized him. Again, that word baptism is that idea of immerse, that idea of plunging under the water and coming back out of the water. And so really, it's, it's when, you, when you think about 
uh, baptism, it's not really disputed amongst Christian churches that, that the New Testament church, when they did baptism, that they did it by immersion going underneath the water and coming back up out of the water. And we're going to see that today. So, so right up here, we have a baptismal right underneath the cross there. It's full of water right now. And you're going to see that picture of what happened here in Acts chapter 8. It was not a sprinkling. It was not a pouring. The word literally means to go underneath the water and to come out. It means to immerse the believer. And so that very first question. There might be churches out there that do sprinkling and they may do pouring. But the New Testament church did immersion. And that's one of the reasons why we do immersion here at Wilton Bible Church. Because we see that in the New Testament. That is what the New Testament church did. That's what the early church did. Our next statement here for following along. Baptism identifies a believer with Christ. Someone might say, well, why is it important? And it's important because baptism identifies a believer with Christ. There's a relationship between the uh, baptism and the believer, and it is closely tied in the New, uh, New Testament church and the early church. And so uh, this is Mark's gospel. Uh, he gives um, a different perspective uh, when it comes to uh, the Great Commission, but I, I just want to read for you how Mark records the Great Commission. And he says this, and he said to them, that is Jesus Christ said to them, that is the disciples, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then he says this, and again, this is Mark recording Jesus' words, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And I just want to point out this right here, believed and is baptized will be saved. Now, does baptism save anyone? No, baptism doesn't save anyone. So then why would Mark record these words of Jesus Christ for us? That will those who believe and will be baptized will be saved. Because really in the New Testament we see when someone came to Christ, they were immediately baptized. Those two things went, went hand in hand. They just expected in the early church, if you're truly a believer of Jesus Christ, then you follow in believer's baptism. And so those ideas are so closely linked. And yet, baptism does not save. And how do we know? Through the rest of the New Testament. The rest of the New Testament points to the fact that there are no works which we can do to save ourselves. But it's only what uh, Jesus Christ has done for us. It's, it's putting our faith and trust in the work of the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection. Matter of fact, Paul says this. He too closely aligns this idea of baptism and the believer. So notice here in Romans 6, verse 3, and it says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the, from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so here, Paul also, he puts these two things together. 
that when someone is saved, they're, they're baptized. These, these two things go hand in hand. And so, again, that, that begs the question, does baptism have the power to save? Does baptism have the power to save? And no, only the blood of Christ can save a believer. Matter of fact, Paul makes this argument throughout Romans. And so the way that, that the book of Romans works is the, the very beginning of Romans is all about really sharing with everybody that you're lost. That whether you're Jew or a Gentile, that we all fall short of the glory of God because we have sinned. So that's the bad news of the gospel. But then Paul gets to the good news that Jesus Christ died on your behalf. That all you have to do is place your faith and trust in the work of the cross and you can be saved. And so Paul shares with us that good news also. And so baptism does not have the power to save. Instead, baptism is a celebration of what has already happened inside someone's heart. Let me illustrate that with you. Back in July 2006, my life changed. Back in July 2006, my life changed. How, how did it change? Well, that is when I married my wife. All right? I was so excited. I'm still so excited. I'm so lucky to have, have a good wife, and she's lucky to have a good husband. No. You know, I, my life has never been the same. And I was so excited to marry her. Matter of fact, uh, I, I, she invited all her co-workers and friends and family, and I invited all my co-workers and friends and family, and we all got together, and, and we wanted everybody to celebrate with us what was already happening inside of our hearts. And so we made that, that covenant with one another that we would love and be dedicated to one another. It wasn't something that we hid, but it was something that we wanted to celebrate with everybody because we loved each other, because we were dedicated to one another. And that's what baptism is. See, I didn't marry my wife hoping that one day I would love her and be dedicated to her. I married my wife because I did love her and want to be dedicated to her for the rest of my life. And that's what baptism is. Baptism doesn't save the individual. Instead, it's an outward celebration of what has already happened inside the heart. It's everyone come and see what I have put my faith and trust in. I want everyone to know I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died for me, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And I want you to celebrate with me. And so in a way, it's kind of like a wedding. And so that's what we're going to have today, not a wedding, but a baptismal. It's going to be a celebration of what has already happened inside someone's heart. It's a great time of celebration. So baptism does not save. Instead, baptism is a celebration of what has already happened in someone's heart. So who should be baptized? Who should be baptized? We looked at this, uh, the idea of whether it's a, a baby before salvation, after salvation. And really the picture that we have in the New Testament as you study out baptism, we don't see baby baptism in, in the New Testament church, in the early church. We don't see it. I think it's a tradition in some churches today, but it's not something that is, is carried 
over from, from the Word of God. And, instead, it's a, it's a tradition uh, that we see. What we really see in the Word of God is that believers were baptized. And so here at Wilton Bible Church, we believe in believers' baptism, someone who is already saved. And so we saw that in, in Acts uh, chapter 8. So, so a reminder, here is, here is Philip, and he witnesses to that eunuch, as that eunuch has some questions. Who is this prophet speaking of himself or someone else? And then what does Philip do? He takes the opportunity to share the what? Good news of Jesus Christ, or the good news about Christ. He shares with him the gospel. And then the eunuch goes and is baptized. All right? The eunuch was not a baby. And he put his faith and trust prior to that, uh, that baptism. And so that gospel was shared with him while he was still up on the bank in that chariot rather than down in that water. Paul also says this as he's writing to the church. And so he connects these ideas as well, a believer's baptism. This is Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says this, In him also you were crucified with, no, I'm circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the old, uh, putting off the body of the old flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so Paul connects these two ideas. And in the Old Testament, there was circumcision. It was a, a sign that the Mels took, and it was a sign to say that they are part of God's people, Israel. It was actually commanded by God that the Mels should do this. In the New Testament, we don't see that carry over. Instead, what we see in the New Testament, that the outward sign of someone being part of the church is baptism. It's a picture of what has already happened in the heart. Again, does baptism save you? No. But it is a picture of what has happened in your heart. It's a celebration. And so Paul connects these ideas that it's not prior to salvation, but it is someone who has been saved. And then we looked at this. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And when they heard they were cut to the heart. Now, this is after the Holy Spirit comes. We looked at this, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now. And the, the, the Holy Spirit comes, and this is the start of the church. This is that por portion of Scripture when, when Peter begins to speak in, in tongues, and everyone hears in their own language. And he begins to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He shares the good news of the gospel and notice what happens here in verse 37. When they heard, heard, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The idea is, what shall we do to be saved? And, and again, Peter being full of the Holy Spirit and, and speaking in everyone's natural tongue, he says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And we looked at this uh, a little while ago. This, this idea of repent is is, is the idea of, of a 180. So they're going this way, and, and maybe their pursuits in life are, are their own pursuits and, and their flesh and, and sin. And he's saying, repent, turn from your sin, and instead turn towards the Lord. Or 
something that the Israel was doing is they were putting their focus on their works. They were saying, I'm working for salvation. And, and Peter was saying, stop working and instead turn by faith and accept the gospel. And so Peter says, repent, turn from your sin, turn from your own righteousness and turn towards the Lord. Turn towards God's righteousness. And then he says, be baptized. All right, be baptized. Again, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. That is a picture of what has already happened inside someone's heart. And, and we're going to see it in just, in just a second. But this is the picture. And so when someone is baptized, this is what they're saying to all of us that are going to be out in the audience in just a little while. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. That's the picture of, of going under the water. That's the idea of going and being buried. But he didn't stay dead. I believe that he came back to life. So I believe that Jesus Christ died and he was buried and that he rose again. And in the same way, this is what we're saying we believe when we're baptized. I believe in the same way I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I had no hope of having a relationship with the Lord. But through Christ, by faith, I have come alive. And so this is, there's a difference between physical life and spiritual life. Everyone who is born has physical life. But only those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have spiritual life. And so I was dead spiritually but now I am alive spiritually. Christ died for me, was buried, and rose again. And so that is the picture that we have from Peter. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from your works. Turn towards the Lord by faith and be baptized. And what was the response? This was the response of the people found in verse 41. And those who received his words, that is the gospel, that is what he was telling them about Jesus Christ, were baptized, and they were added that day, about 3,000 souls. I, I point out uh, this word here, that day, because they didn't wait, like, years. They didn't, like, debate, well, should I be baptized? Should I not be baptized? Maybe I'll be baptized. Maybe I won't be baptized. At the beginning of the church, we see this, that Peter said, repent and be baptized, and we see their response was to accept the word and to be baptized. And really when we look at some of the salvation accounts found in the New Testament, we see that picture. We see people were saved and then they were baptized. And oftentimes it was the exact same day they were saved, they were baptized. Why? Because they wanted everybody to celebrate with them. They want to say, there's a lot of things happening in the world, but I just want you to know that I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, he was buried, and that he rose again. And so it was an outward expression of what has already happened in their heart. And so who should be baptized? Believers should be baptized. Believers should be baptized. So I have a couple of questions for us. Well, first of all, let's do a little bit of review here. What is baptism? Well, our English word comes from the Greek word, which means to dip or to immerse. Whom 
does baptism identify you with? Well, it identifies you with the church. It identifies you with a disciple of Jesus Christ. It identifies you with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Does baptism save? No. It is a celebration of what has already gone on in someone's heart. And when you study baptism in the Old Testament, you find believers were baptized, oftentimes the same day they believed. So who should be baptized? Every believer who puts their faith and trust in the work of the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the picture that we see. And so that's why I, when I opened up this morning and I gave that illustration of, of Casey and how Casey said in, to me, and, and he was a Christian, he, he loved the Lord, and yet his response was, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get baptized. And, and why it kind of was a little bit different of a view because when I look at the New Testament, I see that people were saved and then they were baptized. And so that's the picture that we see throughout Scripture. And so I have a couple more questions as we finish off today. First of all, how would you describe your relationship with the Lord? So think about that today. How would you describe your relationship with the Lord? Have you put your faith and trust in the work of the cross? The picture that we're about to have of baptism up here, the the idea that Jesus Christ died for me and buried and, and rose again, Is that something that you have placed your faith in? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? How would you describe that relationship? You know, the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. It doesn't have to be a question. I know a lot of people in the world today, it's like a hope. If, If you've ever talked to someone about, about uh, heaven, and, and they, make, they, they, they say things like this, well, I hope one day if I die uh, that, that I'll be with the Lord. But really the Bible says that we can know that we have eternal life. And, and here at Wilton Bible Church, we do have a Bible study. It's not a long Bible study. It's about four, it's about four weeks. And uh, the Bible study uh, really is a Bible study about who God is and who, and who we are and what he has done for us. And really, if, if you don't know, if, if you'd say, you know what, I don't, I, I don't think I am Christian. I, some of the things that you've talked about this morning, I'm not familiar with. Then we'd love to take you through that Bible study. A lady with a lady, a man with a man. We'd love to share with you that, that hope. It won't cost you anything. It's absolutely free, except for your time, of course. And um, it would be a good good thing for you to to learn because though marrying my wife was a life-changing decision really the thing that changed my life completely is when i put my faith and trust in jesus christ i've never been the same all right so uh, have you been saved well how would you describe your relationship with the lord and then my my second question my last question is if you are a believer have you been baptized have you been baptized and if you haven't been baptized why not? Why not? Again, uh, when, when Brooke and I uh, got engaged and we began to, to plan our wedding, we wanted everybody to know the love that we had for one another. We wanted everyone to celebrate with us. And so if you're a Christian, don't keep it to yourself. Make it public. 
And then that way of making it public is, is coming forward and, and uh, being baptized and letting everybody know. I just want everybody to know I am a Christian. I believe that Jesus Christ died for me, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Celebrate with me that new life. And so I think it would be an honor. I've been able to baptize many people here at Wilton Bible Church, and it's always an honor to baptize someone and uh, so if you've never been baptized, it would be an honor and a privilege uh, to baptize you as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for, the, for this command, the Great Commission, to make disciples. And that, that very first part of making disciples is baptizing them. And Lord, if we don't have a good understanding of what baptism is, we, we really won't know how to make disciples. But baptism is really the, the outward expression of what has already happened in the heart. That someone is, is putting their faith and trust in the work of the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's really the way that we start a relationship with you. And so, Lord, maybe there's someone here, they've never done that. Maybe they've been playing the parts. Maybe they say the right words. Or maybe they don't even say the right words. But Lord, maybe you're working in their heart today that, that they've never really place their faith and trust in you they've they've never really had new spiritual life they just they've only had physical life we pray that you would work in hearts and maybe use our church help us to be a witness to share that good news of jesus christ help them to take that first step in reaching out to us that we might be able to share with them or set up a bible study so they might know that they have eternal life lord i also think about there's no doubt believers here, that they've debated over the years whether or not baptism is for them. But Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart not to, not to keep their, their testimony a secret, but to make their love and dedication for you public, that they would come and be baptized, that we might be able to celebrate with them as they came from death to life. They believe that Jesus Christ died and buried and, was, and he rose again. And so, Lord, thank you for the time that we've been able to have this morning to celebrate your death, your burial, and your resurrection and celebrate this topic of baptism. In Jesus' name, amen.